You're listening to the Living Leadership Podcast, growing disciple-making leaders. The aim of this podcast is to enhance your leadership. So to kick off, we thought it would be great to dive straight to the heart of the question. What is biblical spiritual leadership? What does the Bible mean when it talks about leadership and leaders? Almost the most important sentence any church can complete is, we exist to... The way you finish that sentence defines what you do and don't do, your dreams and ambitions for the future, how you organise yourself around your key purposes, and what you think leaders are given to the church by God for. Get your understanding of church wrong, and it is impossible to lead right. If you type leadership quotes into Google, you instantly get an idea of how disconnected from God and the purpose of the church most of the world's ideas about leadership are. Here are a couple of my favourites. You can do anything you set your mind to when you have vision, determination, and an endless supply of expendable labour. Or, the secret of success is knowing who to blame for your failures. Perhaps my favourite is this one. Hundreds of years from now, it won't matter what my bank account was, the sort of house I lived in, or the car I drove. But the world may be different because I did something so bafflingly crazy that my ruins became a tourist attraction. The ideas that leadership clearly conjure up for some non-Christians are to do with power, status, climbing the ladder, accomplishing things, being the boss, adulation, popularity, glory, and success. Sometimes, if we're honest, Christians can think like that too. James and John went to Jesus and said, We want to sit one on your right side and one on your left in your kingdom. Jesus told them, The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, but not so with you. You are to serve. We serve because Jesus served and gave his life as a ransom for many. But perhaps the desire for adulation and glory is not the biggest danger for Christians in the UK right now. I sense it might be the opposite, that leaders and leadership is sufficiently onerous or distrusted that people whom God is calling to lead are not feeling the excitement of stepping into his calling. We would rather not be in a position of responsibility. I visit church after church where ministers tell me that people say, I'm really happy to help out, but not to lead. The other main danger, as I see it, is simply baptising pragmatic wisdom from the world applying it to Christians and churches and saying, well, that's Christian leadership. The most common quote I hear among Christians about leadership is, leadership is influence. Whenever I hear that, I say, really? Is that the best you have to say? Is that what you read when you open the Bible, asking what does this teach me about leadership? Now, I'm not going to give you a biblical overview of leadership. But you don't have to look very far in the Bible to find leadership teaching. It is listed as a spiritual gift in Romans chapter 12, verse 8. There's plenty of direct teaching for churches about leadership and how leaders are the equippers of everybody else's ministry. There's direct teaching for individual leaders. That's what the pastoral epistles are about. We learn what leaders are to be like, what congregations have to do or not do and therefore how leaders are to lead and teach. Some of the things are quite situation specific, other parts are more general. There are plenty of leader images, 
the hard-working farmer, the athlete, the soldier, builder, fool, guide, the shepherd, the labourer, the workman, the servant. And we have descriptions of model leaders, like the loyal yoke fellow in Philippians, or descriptions of apostles. I think David's mighty men are one of my favourites. And then there are examples and models of people being commended for doing it, even if the category of leadership isn't mentioned. So Timothy and Epaphroditus in Philippians 2 are a good example of that. My first assumption is that the goal of all the ministries of all believers is to make disciples. Everybody being involved in disciple making in some way, shape or form. Making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Churches are worshipping, witnessing communities in a mission field. Our understanding of leadership, when we come to it, is intimately connected to our understanding of church and church purpose. Churches are communities of mission. And leaders exercise our role to fit and lead churches to fulfil that purpose. If a significant enough proportion of our churches, or we as leaders, get the understanding and the DNA wrong, it is impossible to lead right. But of course, that mission field is changing very rapidly. The governing paradigms of our society are unrecognisable compared with even 20 years ago. 20 years ago, it was reasonable for Christians to expect that we could do our witness primarily in Christian spaces, because at least some non-Christians were always there. So we could persuade ourselves we were being effective because a steady stream of people were always becoming Christians. And we got comfortable doing so in our familiar and unchallenging environment. But that's no longer true. The UK is now at least three generations post being a Christian country. The vast majority of people who live round where your church and my church meet haven't had a single thought about stepping over our threshold in the last five years and they won't in the next five. If we merely assume that carrying on doing the things the way we've always done them, carrying on our attractional model is going to reach the 95% who haven't, we are simply incorrect. What we do now has got us to where we are now. For churches to function missionally in this rapidly changing environment means that we can't do things the way we've always done them and expect them to function for the gospel as they always did. New Testament churches, on the other hand, were always innovating, always praying, Lord, what would you have us do next, in order to meet the challenges and opportunities of fresh environments, fresh cultures, and fresh hostility. They knew they were in a missionary environment. There was no environment that wasn't missionary. They had an unchanging message about the Lord and his kingdom, but their methods and strategies were flexible. Well, instead of pragmatic definitions from the world, at Living Leadership, we like to begin our exploration of biblical spiritual leadership in Philippians 1, verses 25 and 26. And what's going on in Philippians is that the Apostle Paul is in prison and he's tossing up in his mind, am I going to be executed and be with Christ? And that would be far better for me. Or am I going to get released because of God's grace to you, Philippians, and then I can come to you and be with you and encourage you? And in Philippians 1, 25 and 26, he tells us what he wants to accomplish among them. He says, I want to continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith 
so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow abundantly on account of me. His purpose then is that the disciples and the whole church is overflowing abundantly with joy in Jesus. And he wants to work for that by working with them for their progress and their joy in God. That's a good summary of our purpose as biblical leaders as well, working with people for their progress and joy in God so that they overflow abundantly in glory in Christ Jesus. Christian joy is the experience of gladness or happiness, not in plans or possessions, not in people, but in God. God is the happiest person who exists. He saves us for himself. He is our reward. Fellowship with him eternally would be dreadful if he weren't glad. But he is glad. He's happy. He's full of joy. Speaking of Jesus, Hebrews 1 says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your companions. He's full of joy. And his joy is what Jesus offers. When he invites us to himself into a relationship with him, when he saves us, he gives us his joy. So in John 15, for example, Jesus is telling the disciples how to remain in him and thereby in the love of the Father so that his joy may be in them and that their joy may be complete. This shouldn't come as a surprise. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. I don't know what you think your strength is or your strength for growing your church. It is not our programs. It's not our strategies. It's not our numbers or successes. It's delighting ourselves in the Lord. When you see a church like that, it's no surprise if they attract people to him. And when you see a church that isn't like that, you can do all the evangelism training you like, but it doesn't make any difference because grumpy people are not a very winsome advert for the Lord Jesus. So for us at Living Leadership, that is Leadership Definition 101, working with others for their progress and joy in the faith so that they glory in Jesus. Let me very quickly give you a second definition. It revolves around two big questions. Why did God make the world? And what is the purpose of the church? Firstly, the reason God made the world and the reason he made us the reason he called us and made us part of the church is for the magnification of the gospel of the glory of his grace. That is the reason he does everything he does. We see that four times in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 5, for example, says he predestined us to be adopted as his sons to the praise of his glorious grace. Well, if that's the reason God acts and that is the purpose of our lives, then I suggest to you that it is the purpose of biblical spiritual leadership too. Leaders are making and shaping the community of grace, the local church, to do that. Second question, what is the purpose of the church? Well, most simply put, it's to go into all the world making disciples of Jesus, preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, and teaching these new disciples to obey everything Jesus commanded. It's Matthew 28 and Luke 24, the Great Commission. If that is the purpose of the church, then I suggest to you, it is also the purpose of biblical spiritual leadership. We are making and shaping the community of grace to do that. 
working with people for their progress and their joy so they glory abundantly in Jesus, has the aim of making disciples who make disciples. If I had to sum up the goal of Christian leadership in one sentence, it might go something like this. Equipping and releasing disciple-making disciples who are overflowing with joy in Jesus Christ. I wonder how unusual this understanding of leadership would be in your church. It's common for churches to think not that leaders equip everybody else for all of their ministries, but that they are paid to do all the ministries of the church. When leaders do all the ministry and the recipients are Christians, well, that's effectively a chaplaincy model of church. A fellowship that exists to meet the personal spiritual needs of Christians and employs people to deliver it. It inevitably produces a large number of passive consumers. The biblical picture, on the other hand, is that those who do the ministry are all the people of God. The particular ministry of the leaders being to lead and equip resource and release every disciple to make an impact for Jesus wherever they are. It is not them doing the ministry of all the disciples. In the best sense, that's a prophetic church, and it's certainly a biblical understanding of the relationship between church and leaders. Leaders are not CEOs, neither are they dog's bodies. We are not tyrants, we're not professionally detached. Leadership is the exercise of a spiritual gift or the enabling of the whole people of God. If your church doesn't understand itself correctly, it will always insist that leaders fulfil expectations that are not the right ones. And in the process, it will take leader capacity away from what they ought to be doing. When a local church ceases to be a mission-focused community with a foundational commitment to disciple-making at the heart of its DNA and adopts instead a pastoral understanding of itself, Everybody interested in mission tends to go elsewhere. And then the church replaces mission with other things, often very good things, but without the core DNA of mission being at its heart. And then it can be very hard to recover. Almost everything that happens in and through the local church for the extension of the kingdom of God is dependent on biblical spiritual leadership. This DNA, this uh, disciple-making disciples DNA, is what pastors are for, deacons, church wardens, youth leaders, home group leaders, and every other kind of leader in your church in all their various capacities. It's a definition of leadership that is easy to understand. It isn't mystical. It's not sacramental. It is the exercise of one of the spiritual gifts God has given to the church, the gift with the particular responsibility for releasing and facilitating lots of other gifts so that the church grows, so that the disciples are made, so that all the disciples make more disciples, and the church proclaims the manifold wisdom of God for the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this first reflection on the theme of biblical spiritual leadership. There are going to be many others in this podcast. Hit subscribe now to receive new episodes every couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Living Leadership Podcast. For more about Living Leadership, to connect with us, to give, or to sign up for regular prayer news, please visit livingleadership.org. Blessings.